Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. So I want to speak to you around this idea of a new identity. A new identity. All right, would you pray with me? At least one of you are excited this morning. Father, we thank you so much, God. Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, what a glorious time that we get to gather together to lift up your name, to encourage one another, to pray for one another. Lord, we pray this morning on earth as it is in heaven that, God, you would speak, Holy Spirit, so deep into our hearts that you would reorganize and restructure recalibrate Lord that you would expose and heal so we just welcome you to have your way in every way and we love one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere in Jesus name and everybody said amen amen and amen well listen uh, I love love Palm Sunday. I think uh, the beautiful reality, I'm hoping to, to paint a picture for us this morning that will help shift some things, help change some of our thinking around what normally the next couple of weeks for many people are, even for church going people can just kind of be some religious days. Show up on Palm Sunday, show up on Easter, but God has so much more in store for you. And uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we're so grateful that you were in the house. I, I want to take you back to a, a trip that I had. I was flying to Orlando. And whenever you're flying, I know these are like some nice Delta seats. It, this was not my plane, just so you know. <laughs> this is off the internet. They're nice. But I, I, I got to say, when you're boarding a packed plane, anybody like packed planes? None of us do, right? Love it when there's nobody sitting next to you. You can stretch your legs out if you need to. You can take a little nap. Uh, and then sometimes it's just really packed. You got to get cozy and you're tucked away. And depending on how long your flight is can determine whether or not you are going to survive. But, but in this case, I was excited because I was traveling from San Francisco to Orlando. And when you're looking at your seats, you definitely want an A seat or a C seat. A window or an aisle. Nobody likes the B seats. And if you do, bless your heart. We all love you and we're grateful for you. But I was born in this flight, flight. I was born in this flight to Orlando and my seat number was, was 28A. Super excited, squeezing my way through everybody, put my baggage up, and there's a gentleman in my seat. And so I just, you know, very kind. I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. So I just very kindly said, oh, excuse me, sir. I think there's been a mistake. You're in my seat. And he kind of caught back with an attitude like, this is, this is my seat. And then went back to what he was doing on his phone. I thought, whoa, no, no, no. This is actually my seat. And you feel at that moment a little shift, especially when they're not nice. And so, so he looked at me and he said, no, 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 this, this is my seat. I said, excuse me, sir. 
I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to patiently wait for you to get out of my seat. And you just have the sense, in my heart, in my heart, this may or may have not went through my mind, like, you don't want to see me, dude. You don't want to see me today. Get out of my seat. May or may not have. I didn't say it. I repented later. So finally, a, a guy whispers, in, uh, or a guy, everybody's ear hustling, meaning they're listening in to the conversation. So somebody from a couple rows up says, hey, they have the same seat. And uh, so the stewardess comes over. She says, what's going on? What's happening? I said, oh, no, no big deal. Just you know, this guy's in my seat, seat 28A. So she's like, well, let me see your boarding passes. So she did. And she's like, yep, you are right, sir. Your seat number is 28A. And she looked at me and she said, you're... Your seat is also right, 28A. So I was like, man, how do you guys do this? She said, the only problem is, is you're going from San Francisco to Phoenix, then to Orlando. And she said, so you're 28A from Phoenix to Orlando. But from San Francisco to Phoenix, you were 29B. So the guy kind of looks at me like, I told you so. And, and I, I, I look at the stewardess. And I'm like, yeah, just secret shopper, just testing you. Make sure you guys are on your game. Make sure you guys are organized, undercover boss. How many of you guys know where humility is absent, humiliation is present? And, and nobody really saw, but in my, you know, spirit, there was a little haughtiness. Proverbs 16 says it this way. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And so what the wisest person, Solomon, outside of Jesus, is declaring to us is that where there's pride, things start to fall apart. They fall apart internally. They fall apart externally. They fall apart relationally. And we all have battled with the I problem. We all have battled with selfishness and pride at some level. When things don't go our way and we're treated like a servant, we don't like that too much. Even though we sing songs like that, like, Lord, use me for your glory. Just I'm here to serve you and you alone. And then you're treated like a servant, and we don't like that. They said the true test of a servant is when you're treated like one. And so it's complicated. <laughs> Facts. Telling the truth. But, it, but it's the small moments, isn't it? Little moments. This week had a couple of events in, the, in our vehicle. I'm at a stoplight. I'm making a right-hand turn. And two things were happening. Number one is you can't make a right turn on a red light at, at this particular light. And uh, the light turns green. I'm telling you the truth. I did not have enough time to go from the brake to the gas, and somebody is already honking. And it was just one of those days. Like, I wish you would pull up beside me right now. Who are you? You're like, you're my pastor. I know. I know. And then I found myself with my kids in a parking lot of a gas station. And this brand new Escalade comes through with a carload of kids. Kid must have been like 12 years old. He looks so young. I'm like, dude, do you even have your license? And, he, and he's flying through the parking lot. We almost T-boned. And I look at him like, I will spank you. So you could just see he's just kind of like, but I was like, bless you. <laughs> That's all you got to do. Just smile and say that. May the Lord bless you. Bless you on your journeys. But the reality is, is, that, is that 
when it comes to pride, when it comes to crimes, they have something similar. And it's that the center letter is the word I or the letter I. Sometimes we have an I problem, an identity problem. And I'm not talking about the pride or the I problem that you have in your career. Like you're proud of your career and you love what God is doing or what you're studying. No, I'm talking about the pride that causes you to work so much that you're not present at home. You're not prioritizing and neglecting your relationships and the things that are important to you in God. I'm talking about that pride. I'm not talking about the pride that you have in your family or your wife or your husband or even in your singleness. No, 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 I'm not talking about that pride. I'm talking about the pride that doesn't allow you to apologize when you're wrong. Talking about that pride. I'm not talking about the pride because you have influence. Maybe God has given you a platform. Maybe you're an influential person. Maybe you're a supervisor. Maybe you're a boss. Maybe, I don't know what the case is. I'm not talking about that. You may take great joy in the platform that God has given you, but I'm talking about the pride that when things don't go your way, you gossip, you backbite, and you tear down to stay afloat. I'm talking about that pride. I'm, I'm not talking about the pride that you want to do a good job, like you, you want to really do well. No, I'm talking about the pride where insecurity disguises itself as humility in order to be liked by others. You know, one of the highest forms of pride is insecurity. Why? Because it's still about I. It's still about me. Proverbs also goes on to say this, is that where there is strife, there is pride. But wisdom is found in those who take advice. Can I just say, if you are never taking advice, you might have an eye problem. I'm not saying take advice from everybody. I'm just saying if you're never taking advice, you may have an eye problem. So we're, we're going to take advice from somebody on this Palm Sunday that doesn't get a lot of love. Nobody really preaches about him a ton. But I want to talk to you around this, this person of John the Baptist. I believe that he has some wisdom for us on this Palm Sunday, some, some counsel, some good advice that will help us with our eye problem. Now, let me give you a little backdrop. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, even though most scholars believe they did not see each other until Jesus' ministry began. I don't know how you were sliced or diced that, but that's what most scholars believe. Now, John had a very unique call. He spent the majority of his life in the wilderness, kind of as a nomad. And some say that he ran with the Essenes, kind of a sect that was outside of the city confounds. So he was, lived in the wilderness, and, and his, his attire proved it. John had a, a unique fashion sense to him. It says that he wore camel hair, a leather belt, and he ate wild locusts and honey for his meal. I'm like, you would have fit perfect in the Bay Area, dude. Like a high-protein diet, kind of weird. It would, you would have been great here. And so, so John had this, this, this ministry as prophesied by the prophet Isaiah that one would come before the Messiah as a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. So John had the privilege of baptizing Jesus, and at that moment, the heavens opened up, the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Like, John experienced some incredible moments, but it was the humility of John that really draws me to him. When he looked at his disciples, he says, listen, there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm just a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for Jesus. Like that is 
who I am. That is my calling. That is the ministry God has given me. Now, the, Jesus said that no man that has ever been born a woman is greater than John the Baptist. That's a huge statement. And John just understood how to deal with the eye problem. In fact, probably the most famous verse that's quoted in regards to John is this reality that he must increase, meaning Christ, and I must decrease. And so, so John had a big following as Jesus' ministry began. He was preparing the way people were showing up, repenting, being baptized. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and everybody starts to leave him. John is pointing people to Jesus. His disciples leave him and start following Jesus. And John thought it was great, but not all of John's disciples thought that was a good idea. John was like, no, this is why I came. I, I love it. I'm a voice and a sign to point to Jesus. But some of his disciples were like, hey, John, listen, dude. We have a good gig going here. We have a big following. This whole decrease thing, no, no, no. We, we want to increase. And one of his disciples said it this way. He said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Like, John, what is going on here? Notice how he says that man, not the Messiah, not the son of God. He even knows John was testifying about him, but this guy is like, hey, listen, we have built a little platform for ourselves. We have a little fame, a little influence. This is not good. John's like, no, it is good. And I could just see the humanity of these men looking at John like, yeah, he's, he's going through it. John is losing his mind. It's like, bro, you invented baptizing and somebody else is taking our stuff. Like, fix this. Verse 27, we really see probably one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. John answered, he said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. Like, John is looking at his disciples like, come on, like, are you serious? Like, God is sovereign. The ministry that we have, it's from him. It's for him. This isn't ours. He said, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. Come on, this is a very simple but huge statement. John knew who he was and who he wasn't. Sometimes we think like we're the Lord and we act like it. We would never say that. You would never like walk out, I'm the Lord. But sometimes we act like it, especially when we have an eye problem. John knew who he was and who he wasn't, but he said, but I have been sent before him. I'm a voice and a sign, right? The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, speaking of Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom, which John is saying, that's me, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So John not only knows who he is and who he's not, but he's clear on his calling. I know why I have come and so I can selfishly rejoice as everybody is departing from me because it's always been about his voice, not my voice. My voice is to prepare way for his voice. And then it says this, this joy of mine is now complete. As the crowds depart from you? Yeah, my joy is complete. As the crowds left him to follow Jesus. Some would say that John is the first one to be unfollowed. Pastor jokes, 
And he said, in light of all of this, he said, he must increase. This is how you deal with the eye problem. He must increase and I must decrease. A couple things John knew was this. John knew that when you understand that everything is from heaven, you will use everything for heaven. And he also knew that if you have a distorted view of Jesus, you will have a distorted view of self. So John wasn't a slave. He was free. He wasn't a slave to opinion and notoriety. He wasn't a slave to position or popularity. He did not need to be the smartest one in the room. Like, that wasn't John. John knew why he came. And and what John was saying is this, is when Jesus is the center and not I at the center, Jesus gives purpose to all the things that we're doing. To all the the platform and the influence and notoriety, all of this only makes sense if we're doing it for him. It's from him and it's for him. Can I just say that everything God has given you is from him and is for him. And if we mistake Jesus for just a man, we will have an eye problem. If we have a distorted image of him, we will have a distorted image of ourselves. And so John said, listen, guys, we're going to use what we have to point people from us to him. And that's where greatness lies. But I believe that the secret to the eye problem that John declares is found in John chapter 1, verse 29. And it says this, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this word lamb is used 104 times in scripture and is the number one word to describe Jesus. And John is saying at this moment, behold, it's the moment. The Old Testament was pointing to him. All the prophecies pointing to him. I know that I've been called to prepare the way. We've been waiting, and he's here. Behold. And and the word behold in the original language in the Greek, it it has this notion of seeing with with spiritual eyes. Because obviously Jesus is not a lamb. But everybody would have known or would have had some idea of what he was talking about because everything they knew about lambs, I mean, it could be food, it could be a lot of things, but what John knew that the advice he wants to help us understand today, everything that John knew about the Lamb of God would have been found from the Passover. And what we celebrate today is Palm Sunday, which would have been the Lamb Selection Day, the day that you go and select a lamb that would be the substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the people. And so this dates all the way back to the Exodus when Pharaoh was rebelling against the Lord and God says, I'm about to send judgment on the land. So he told his people, he says, listen, take a lamb, slaughter it, put the blood over the doorpost. And this is what he said, when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over your house and the judgment won't come to you. But this Passover was simply pointing to the ultimate Passover that Jesus would fulfill on the cross. That in the same way um, that they put the blood over the doorpost, that his blood would be spread over our hearts, that the wrath of God and the judgment of God to come as a result of sin would pass over us. That's good news. Some of you guys are like, whoa. This is the greatest story of all time. So what advice would John give us? What would John want us to help us understand? in regards to this day and dealing with our eye problem. The first one is this, is that the lamb has to be perfect because we are not. 
The lamb has to be perfect because we are not without spot or blemish. Exodus 12, verse 5 says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So on Palm Sunday, Jesus makes his entrance into Jerusalem, into the temple, and everything is corrupt. The priests are corrupt. The religious system is detrimental. Everything is messed up. In fact, the priests had a little side hustle with the lambs. So people would come, and they would present their lamb, and the priest would look and say, yeah, I think I see a little defect. But for $20, we'll get you a good lamb. Pocket the money, just exploiting the people. And the priest had to say whether or not the lamb was legit or not. But on Palm Sunday, Jesus was not coming to purchase a lamb. Jesus was coming as the lamb. And just as the priest would inspect the lamb, so Jesus, over a period of several days, would be inspected by the religious leaders, be inspected by Herod, be inspected by Pilate, and they would all say, Pilate and Herod would say, man, we find no fault in this man. We know the the religious leaders had ulterior motives, but he was found perfect, spotless. There's, like, we can't sentence this guy. He's done nothing wrong. He's the perfect, spotless lamb of God. He's holy. He is set apart. There is none like him. Let me tell you why this is so powerful. It's because this lamb had to be without blemish, set apart as holy, and Jesus is the only person on the planet out of every other religion that claimed to be both God and perfect. No other religion makes that claim. So, As one said, he was either a liar, a lunatic, or the truth. And this is super important because you can't clean, you can't satisfy or rectify the unclean with dirt, with something filthy. You can't clean dirt with dirt. Some of us, we try, and it doesn't work. It's like, get another paper towel. That one is done. Anybody, like, take the paper towels all the way to the end? And you're like, I think you're kind of smearing dirt around at this point. Don't know if that's really helping. But they're expensive. I get it. Trust me. And so so John was saying, look, it's the Lamb of God, the perfect one, the spotless one, the one who is ultimately holy, the one who is the only one qualified. The only one qualified to meet your every need. The only one qualified to love you the only way that you truly know how to be loved, like the God who forms you and created you, the one that can heal you, the one that can set you free, the one who will set your identity rooted on a firm foundation, the one who can satisfy your heart, and the only one who can absorb the debt for our sin. Can I just tell you, if you are like me, when I look in the mirror, I do not see perfection. Some of you might. But when I look in the mirror, I see so far from that. So far from that. And I'm like, you in my place, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who is not bound by time, the one who has done no wrong, like the Lord of all creation as my substitute. 
When you see his perfection, what does it do to your identity? It humbles you. You're like, yeah. Thanks. Because I know me. And that's huge because John would have said not only is it perfect, but John would have also said that the lamb had to be sacrificed for our sin. Like Jesus came at the worst time of capital punishment. Like today, if Jesus showed up, what, lethal injection? It's still, you know, tough, but not, nothing like crucifixion. The Romans were brutal. On his way to the cross, it would have took a, a brief stop at the whipping post. Where there'd be bone fragments at the end of every whip, so it would tear your flesh off. They would soak the whips in water to make them heavy. And there was no one-handed whips. It was always two-handed. And what the Romans would do is they'd go, they'd go for your traps and your upper back so that when you get to the cross, you, you have no strength to pull up. You're pulling up trying to breathe, but you have no strength because your traps are all dismangled and distorted or mangled and distorted and, and then try to pull up and you can't and then you go back down and it's just like this just uh, suffering I can't breathe, I hurt everywhere then they would pass him by what I like to call the guards locker room where they would mock where they would beat where the crown of thorns because he claimed to be a king would be put on his head, now the crown of thorns many times we think is just piercing just a, a, a small portion of the skin but but the crowns would have went into his skull. The thorns would have been so thick, pressed into his very skull. And probably some broke off in the process. And I just want you to know that, listen, that crown of thorns was put around his head so you could have the mind of Christ. And so if you're here today and you wrestle in your mind, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anxiety, Maybe it's been depression. But he was beaten so you could have peace. That crown of thorns was placed on his head so that you and I could have the mind of Christ. Can I just say he's with you? He is for you. He sees you. He understands. I mean, the anguish that he faced before he went to the cross said that his, it was so much anguish that his sweat became like drops of blood. He gets it. And then there was the cross. He was beaten so bad you could not even recognize him as a man. And you might be asking, why is this thing so bloody? Like, why didn't God just say, you're forgiven? Well, well, remember what the scripture says is the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, I think Pastor Chris quoted it first service. I'm not sure if he did second service. I'm sure he did. Um, I'm, you know, on the piano, like focus, engaged, worshiping. It's been a minute, but I love worshiping God. Like, thank you. We didn't have anybody today. I'm grateful for that. But Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. But why so much blood? And this, that's exactly what everybody, aw. I show a lamb like almost every year. I do it on purpose. Because I want you to feel the gravity of this. Why not a possum? A cat. Oh, some of you guys are like, oof, stepping on toes. But a cute little lamb? And, and Exodus said this, we didn't kill the lamb, you would slaughter it. 
you would gut that thing. And I show this because I think it shows such a picture of innocence and maybe gives us a small glimpse of what the father felt as he looked at his son. It's like, man, so pure, so innocent, doesn't deserve it. It helps us to taste. It's nowhere we could fathom what that looks like, but it just gives us a, just a smidge. But why the blood? Why so much? You ever been betrayed really, really bad? To where it just, it, it pierces your very soul? And then bless their heart, somebody may come along and say, hey, why don't you, oh, you just forgive them. You're a follower of Jesus. Forgive them. And you're like, I know, but you feel the tension in your heart. You feel the tension because forgiveness requires suffering. And we forget about that. See, you only have one or two options. You either despise and hate the person or you suffer and relent from saying all those words you really want to say, from paying them back, for the revenge, from letting them feel your wrath. When you hold all that back, that's suffering. Especially when everything inside of you thinks you deserve it. And so so we have this, this, this small little lamb. Imagine, imagine, spotless lamb of God. The God of all creation betrayed by his creation. I guess one thing, relationally like man how could you do me like that it's another thing to say i made you how in the world can you put me on a cross can you spit mock and reject me well because they just saw him as a man they didn't see him as the messiah they did not see him as the lamb of god but i want you to just feel that gravity of forgiveness requires suffering Somebody has to absorb the debt. Why? Because there's been a violation. And we all feel that on the inside of us. And so, so I, I want you to, to get this picture. Either God was going to hate us or he was going to suffer for us. He was either going to destroy us or he was going to suffer for us. That we could live, that we could be forgiven. So the cross, ladies and gentlemen, was not just a show of gory demonstration. No, I would propose that great forgiveness requires great suffering. And God laid upon him the iniquity and the sin of us all. You know the weight of your own sin. You know when you did something you weren't supposed to do. Some of you feel that today. You're like, man, I was been sinning all week. You step in here, you feel the weight. Hopefully, you feel at home. But God disturbs your soul enough to say, yeah, let's deal with that. The difference between conviction and condemnation is conviction moves you toward God. Condemnation moves you away from him. So if you are in this place and you feel condemned today, can I just say that is not God. That is the enemy. But if you're convicted and it's moving your heart toward God, don't resist that. Lean into that. But we know the weight of our own sin. Imagine Jesus carrying the weight of everybody's sin. Just let that sink in for a moment. Everybody's sin. When you realize 
his sacrifice, his perfection, his holiness, and the way that he suffered and died as our substitute, can I just tell you, it'll do not only humble you, it'll change another part of your identity. It'll make you bold at the very same time. John the Baptist would go on to what? Call the king on a sin, get his head cut off. Like, it'll make you bold when you know in whom you believed in. Charles Dickens has a story or tells a story. It's called The Tale of Two Cities. And in this story, there's, there's a person by the name of Sidney, and then there's Charles Darnay. And they both fall in love with the same woman. Tough. Charles wins out in the end. So they go on, they get married, they have children, but the difficulty is it's during the time of the French Revolution, so Charles gets captured and is awaiting execution. Well, Sidney, the guy who lost out to Charles, does not have a wife, does not have children, looking upon this family, sneaks into the prison and says, Charles, listen, man, I don't have a family. I don't have a wife. Let's trade places. Charles is like, no way, dude. No way. He didn't say it like that. But. And so, so what does Sidney do? He knocks him over the head and knocks him out. And then he switches clothes. Gets Charles out of there. And now he is the one in prison. At that moment, Sidney's peace transferred to Charles, and Charles's punishment passed to Sydney. And there was a woman that was a seamstress, and she was, she got locked up. She was awaiting her execution, and she heard that Charles Darnay was there, and so she went to see Charles, and she starts talking to him, and she's like, you know, she's telling, hey, do you remember this? Do you remember that? And Charles is like, because it's not Charles, it's Sydney. Uh, no, she looked at him, she said, you're not Charles. She said, are you, are you taking his place? She's like, listen, I have felt up to this point, I cannot face my execution. I'm terrified. But she said, because of what you've done, if I could just hold your hand of somebody that would do such a feat, I feel like I can endure. And like he wasn't even dying for her. And her heart was radically transformed. How much more for the one who is perfect, spotless, holy, infinitely holy and infinitely loving and laid everything down slaughtered so that his peace could pass to us and our judgment pass to him that will change you what you'll see is that grace is costly when you see that he's holy and you see the cross and the sacrifice it, it'll help you to see the cost of grace See, if you're a moralist and your relationship with God is based on kind of whether you're having a good day or a bad day, that doesn't transform you. Like, hey, it's a good day today. Me and God are all right. Oh, it's a bad day today. Not doing so good. It doesn't transform your heart. Because it's still all about I. It's all about me. If you're a universalist and you say, man, God just kind of loves everybody and he's going to work it all out in the end, that doesn't change your heart. When you see the true and living God, the God of the Bible, and you see that he is holy 
infinitely holy and infinitely loving and sacrificed everything, it radically changes everything. It restructures your whole identity. You're, you're, you're humbled and you're bold. Like, like people do crazy stuff. They're willing to walk away from some of the biggest things. John walked away from his, built this thing, pointed to him, and just fell away in the darkness. Got his head cut off. That's bold. That's amazing. When you see that, or to the degree that you see who he is and what he's done, will determine how you or how much you allow the gospel to change and transform your heart. This story should never get old. We should look at it every single day. It should no longer, it should not be the ABCs or the Palm Sunday. It should be the A through Z that every day you put on that, those glasses. That you see God yourself and the world through. Well, what do you mean? Well, the last thing John would tell us, he'd probably tell us a lot more. But the lamb is also to be shared. You know, at Passover, the lamb had to be totally consumed. Which is great because I don't like leftovers. True story. Except pizza. And I'll do it cold and sometimes enchiladas. Other than that, I, don't, I do not like leftovers. And so what they would say is this, is that if a household was too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what, you, what each person will eat. In other words, can I just say that the Lord we serve is pretty big. He's a pretty big lamb. And there's more to go around. You know, as we celebrate and enter into this Passion Week, can I just tell you there's more room at the table for other people. For those who are far away, those who are next door to us, those who we pass by, just wonder if like John, if we could see this clearly, we would use everything we have to point people to who he is. There's more room at the table. Like how awesome, like our neighbors need to know the reality of sin and death. But that God just didn't leave us in the midst of it, stuck provided a way for his wrath and judgment to pass over us while still dealing with sin. He has to deal with it because he's just. Somebody murdered somebody in your family and the judge was like, hey, just do better next time. You'd be like, what? No, justice has to be served. God has to punish sin because he is loving and because he is just. But can I just tell you, Palm Sunday reminds us that it's bigger than us. The lamb is meant to be shared. It's not just about you and me. Praise God, we get a Passover. Because there's so many people that need one. They need the lamb. So just may we be voices in the wilderness like John. Make straight the way of the Lord. Will you stand to your feet with me? You're like, man, this dude is done on time. Yep. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Matt, I need to get right with God today. He is perfect because we're not. A lamb had to be slain. Why? Because none of us can earn our way. It's purely the gift and the grace of God to you and I. 
and his love demonstrated for you, for us. So if you're here today, you say, Pastor Matt, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Like maybe you've been away from the Lord and it's time to say yes again. It's time to surrender today. Behold the Lamb of God. If that's you, or maybe you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior and you're like, man, I don't know what is happening today, but I know that I need him. And the Spirit of God is stirring your heart. Listen, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just slip up your hand if that's you today? Say, I need to get right with God, Pastor Matt. Would you pray with me? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray with you and for you. If there's anybody that would say, that's me, just slip up your hand. I'm going to wait just a moment. Yep, I see your hand, sir. Thank you. Yep, I see yours. That's great. Anybody else? I see your hand. I see yours. Let me tell you why I have you slip up your hand. It's not for me. It's a step of faith for you to respond to what God is speaking to you. So if that's you, listen. That hand going up is the declaration to say, I hear you, Lord. And I'm not ashamed. So I'm just going to ask one more time, is there anybody else here that would say, that's me? I need to get right with God today. Yep, I see your hand. That's great. So good. Well, listen, I'm going to pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about this prayer. It's, it's like wedding vows, where I'm going to give you the words, but you make them your own. I'm just going to kind of leads you into what God is already speaking into your heart today. And so church, can we pray this prayer with them so they're not alone? Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose again on the third day. You are the living God. That's not something we celebrate next week, but every day, you are the living God. And so today I confess you as my Lord. And I repent. I'm turning from my sin. And I'm turning to you, the spotless lamb. Would you forgive me? Would you wash me? Would you cleanse me? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me to see you clearly? I confess you as my Lord. I give you the reins of my life. I surrender today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand? Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.